Amen. Take a seat. So we're going to do what's called a uh, song sermon sandwich today. Uh, So we're going to have our talk split into three sections with a song in between that will hopefully help us to reflect on what we've just uh, looked at in the passage. And the passage we're in uh, today, if you've got your Bibles, is Luke chapter 4, beginning at verse 1. We're looking at the story of the temptation of Jesus, uh, which is uh, customary really on the first Sunday of Lent to look at that passage, and it's a really, uh, really good one for us to look at. I'm sure you know the story really well, so I won't read it word for word now, uh, but the story is that Jesus goes into the wilderness led by the Holy Spirit, and whilst he's there, uh, he's hungry and he's tired, we'll come to that a little bit later, and then he's tempted uh, by the devil in a number of different ways. Uh, three different temptations the devil lays out to Jesus, and in each time Jesus has a response uh, that helps him to focus on God. And we're going to look, first of all, at how well Jesus used Scripture in his defense against the devil. Now, uh, what I want is I want uh, children, young people, uh, first one to grab a Bible and bring it here. So you might already have one. Uh, Bring it here. All the other children, go and get a Bible anyway. You're all going to need one. So if you're under the age of 12, 15, go grab a Bible. Uh, They're on the shelf there if you can't find one in the chair. Abigail's got one here. Uh, Come up here. If you've got a Bible, bring it up here to the front. Be good. Grab a Bible, bring it up. You can hold that one. Okay. Uh, bring it, bring it. Just come and stand. Anyone here with the Bible? If you've got one, come on, Toby, you can come up. No, you're staying there. You've been there. Okay, fine. Anyone else? Anyone else got a Bible? Or is it just Abigail here? Okay, brilliant. Uh, and adults, if you've got a Bible as well, then uh, I'm going to set you the, the same challenge. We've got another one here, fantastic. So if you've got a Bible uh, in front of you, you might have one of the church Bibles, you might have your own Bible, doesn't really matter. Uh, but I want you to be the first person uh, to find Deuteronomy for me. Deuteronomy, find Deuteronomy in the Bible, so have a look at the contents. Deuteronomy is, we'll flick through, uh, until you can find Deuteronomy. If you've got an electronic device, that's cheating, uh, because you can search and it's really easy. But uh, fi- I generally believe reading a physical Bible is much better than reading an iPad. So if you've got uh, the Bible in front of you, find Deuteronomy. Raise your hand when you found Deuteronomy. Brilliant. Doesn't matter what chapter, just find the book of Deuteronomy right now. We've got a few finding it. Great. It's nearish the beginning, so you might want to go a bit further back. Near the beginning. Deuteronomy, somewhere there. <laughs> okay, don't worry if you haven't found it. Uh, but we'll come to Deuteronomy in a minute. You guys can take a seat. Uh, you can keep looking if you haven't found it. That's fine. Mums and dads can help you uh, find Deuteronomy. Uh, now, there's interesting in this uh, particular passage, the, the devil is using a number of different ways to tempt Jesus. He's tempting him with a number of different things. And each time, Jesus comes back to the devil with a word of scripture, with something that Jesus would have memorized. You may remember that we've talked before about how Jewish children would have memorized the whole of the Old Testament growing up. Uh, they would have known the whole thing off by heart. It was written in a way that's designed to be memorized. So it's not particularly amazing the fact that Jesus had memorized scripture, particularly because all of three of Jesus' defenses come from Deuteronomy. Uh, Deuteronomy chapter 6 or Deuteronomy chapter 8. All three of his defenses from the same little section of scripture. But he has obviously memorized it because he grew it up. The devil tries to use scripture against Jesus in one of the instances uh, in that he quotes a psalm at Jesus. It's almost like by the time he's tried a couple of times and it hasn't worked, he thinks, let me, let me try and play Jesus at his own game. And if I quote scripture at him, then he won't be able to defend it. And that's a way that quite a lot of people use scripture today, is that they find a passage, take it massively out of context and use it to back up their point of view. 
Uh, a lot of people do that, and it's not how Scripture was designed to be used. It's not written as a reference book. It's written as a unified story that points to Jesus. The whole purpose of it is that. Uh, and so references are great, and they're helpful, and they can help us. We'll come to that in a minute. But Jesus uses it in a very different way. Because for Jesus, Scripture is entirely relational. It's entirely understanding the God behind it, the Father that he knows, and what it says about him. So when you look at the passages that Jesus uses, they're often about identity, about who God is, or the fundamental things of worshipping God alone. He refers to the commandments, he refers to another, a number of really key passages that just remind us who God is and who we are in him. He's not using it to back up his point. He's using scripture or allowing scripture to transform his view of God and his view of the world. And uh, it's really key that there's a great, um, a great desert father uh, from 300 AD whose name, let's see if we can all say this together in a minute, is Evagrius of Pontus. Okay, Evagrius of Pontus. Let's all say this, Evagrius of Pontus. What a great name. We don't name people like that anymore, do we? Uh, but Evagrius of Pontus was great. He went into the desert for a long period of time in order to learn how to combat the devil. That was his whole purpose for going, was I want to learn how to combat the devil, how Jesus did, basically. So he goes into the wilderness, and every single time he had a negative thought or temptation, he wrote it down. And for every negative thought or temptation he had, he wrote the lie that was behind it. And for every one of those, he wrote a scriptural truth. He categorized them into different categories. There were eight categories that later for us became known as the seven deadly sins. Uh, but he wrote for every single one of those a category. Uh, uh, in each of those categories, wrote down whenever he had a negative thought of any kind, he wrote the lie behind it, and then he wrote a scriptural truth. He came away from his time in the wilderness with over 500 of these. 500 scriptural truths that for him did what Paul desires for all of us to do, transformed his mind. That's what scripture is for. Not giving us uh, a defense and not backing up our argument, but transforming us. That's what Paul's desire was. As David Watson, the great preacher, says, our conscience must become captive to the word of God. Our conscience must become captive to the word of God. That's what happened for Jesus. His conscience was so changed by his father's words that the devil's temptations bounced off him in a way because his conscience was changed by the word of God. Not just that he knew it, but he lived it and breathed it. So we can use scripture as a wonderful opportunity. Um, and uh, I, did, uh, I don't know if we did the slides. I forgot to ask Paul to put the slides up. But this is an exercise we can do. This is what the, the great uh, Evagoras of Pontus did. Uh, basically, what's the thought or feeling? So, for example, I want to buy that new thing that I don't need as a thought or a feeling. What's the lie behind it? Is the next very, in the next slide. If I had that thing, I would be happier. That's the lie behind it. What's the scriptural truth that counteracts it? Be content with what you have, because God has said, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. That's an example of what you can do at home. Have a journal. Every time you have a negative thought, write down the lie behind it and find a scriptural truth that transforms your mind to think about it in a different way. We're going to sing. 
and then we'll think a bit more about what Jesus did in a moment. So we've seen how Jesus used scripture as a weapon, not just uh, quoting verses, but by using scripture to transform his conscience so much that he is uh, so in love with God and so aware of who he is in God that he's able to use that identity that's backed up by the truth of the biblical word. Uh, but he had another weapon in his arsenal as well. Uh, Jesus didn't just use scripture, he used uh, one of the most powerful weapons that there is for us as followers of Jesus. For us as disciples of Jesus, I think this is one of the best weapons we have aside from scripture itself, and it is the weapon of rest. I don't know whether you often consider rest to be a weapon, but it really is. Hands up if you're feeling weary and tired today. Anyone feeling a bit weary? Toby, you feeling weary and tired? Come, come and take a seat for me up here. Just take a seat there and, and put your feet up for me. Just relax there. I've got um, a little cup for you there to I'll get your drink later and you can put this blanket on just to, just to chillax there for a bit. As wonderful as this is, this is not rest. Certainly not biblical rest. It's, it's very good rest, but it's not biblical rest. Putting your feet up with a glass of wine and Netflix on is not biblical rest. As good as rest may be, biblical rest is something very, very different. Because true rest is about security in your identity. Being secure about who you are in Christ Jesus. For Jesus, that was being secure in who he was in the Father. Being the Son of God. And when you have true understanding of biblical rest, being able to rest in the presence of God, knowing that you are who he made you to be, that you are loved unconditionally by him, that you are accepted by him, chosen by him, called by him, anointed by him, gifted by him, blessed by him. When you come to the understanding of all of those things fully, you are able to fully rest in who you are in him, in who you are and whose you are. And you can even do that whilst you're working. See, biblical rest isn't about stopping and doing nothing, as good as Sabbath is, and Sabbath is hugely important, highly commend it. been learning recently, Sabbath is not the same as a day off. They are two very different things. Uh, but Sabbath is a huge part of our rest because it's in that place that we worship and we delight in God, delight in who he is, get more of an understanding of who he is. And then we use all of that stuff, all of that truth, uh, of who he is and who we are in him as a weapon against the enemy. Because when a Christian knows who they are in Christ, they are the most powerful people on this planet. When you are secure in your identity in Christ, you are the most powerful person on this planet against the enemy. And he cannot cope with it. And you know he cannot cope with it because Jesus, after giving those three scriptures and showing how secure he was, what did the devil do? He gave up and walked away and tried again another time. And when he tried again later, he found that Jesus was still so living in rest that nothing had changed. Even hours before the cross, Jesus was still secure in who he was and whose he was. And what we want is to see that rest as a weapon, not just as a nice thing that we do to relax 
As good as this is, and it is important to do this as well, humanly speaking, our bodies weren't made to work every hour that God sends. We were designed to need to rest physically as well. But there's something about spiritual rest that's really important in this passage. You see, when I was uh, reading this passage before, I always understood that Jesus was hungry because it's the kind of scene that you imagine on a Bear Grylls show, isn't it? That like Bear Grylls goes into the wilderness and he forages for what he can, but he very rarely finds anything that's nutritious or good, and so he gets hungry and starving and causes for desperate measures. And you kind of imagine that Jesus is struggling to find things because he's in the wilderness, but no, actually... I think it's more likely when you look at who Jesus was, how he lived his life, when you look at the way of Jesus, when you look at his Jewish tradition, he was probably fasting by choice. He was probably hungry because he was fasting by choice. He was spending that time, as we'll come to in a minute, intentionally with the Father. And then this quote, I think, really just sums it up, this quote by John Mark Comer. Um, One of those kind of mic drop moments. I read this to the um, staff team the other day. Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness because it was there and only there that Jesus was at the height of his spiritual power. It was only after a month and a half of prayer and fasting in the quiet place that he had the capacity to take on the devil himself and walk away unscathed. Whilst he may have been at the depth of his human tiredness and weakness, he was at the height of his spiritual power because he'd spent a month and a half with the Father, praying, fasting, seeking, waiting, communing, resting. And he had full strength, spiritually, to face the evil one. Rest, true biblical rest, is a weapon that we need to get better at harnessing. And we can only do that if we are secure in who we are in him. It's sort of a a feeds each other resting uh, to feed our identity and feeding our identity to fuel our rest. Uh, We'll come to that more in the coming weeks, but rest is definitely a weapon. And we see that in Jesus. Toby, you can take a seat. I think we're going to sing. And then we'll think of the final thing in just a moment. Uh, The passage, be still and know that I'm God, more accurately translated as let go and know that I'm God. And we can only let go when we're secure enough in who God is and who we are in him. So uh, we use scripture to form us, to shape us, to change us, uh, to conform our conscience into uh, the ways of God. We use rest as a weapon. And finally, I want to think about this season of Lent and think about intentionality. Because over the next uh, few days, uh, the next few weeks of Lent, uh, traditionally 40 days, is considered a time where we are uh, particular about how we focus on who Jesus is. Now, I'm somebody, I'll be honest, I I have always uh, been in the Church of England. Uh, I've grown up uh, since, since being as a young Christian in the Church of England, and Lent has always been the season that, in a way, I've struggled with the most. And the reason for that is because I believe we are a resurrection people, and we live 
in the light and the truth of the resurrection. And Lent is a season where we're encouraged to kind of almost forget that for a bit and to spend uh, 40 days uh, in kind of prayer and fasting and repentance and and, uh, all those kind of things, just thinking through uh, really this kind of necessary thing of thinking through our state as humans and who we are as people. Now, that's not what Lent was originally created for, not quite in that way anyway. The original use of Lent, going back to the early church, the first century church, uh, was that the 40 days leading up to Easter was baptism preparation. That was essentially what it was, because you would have uh, people who would be in the church claiming to be Christians, but many of them were trying to infiltrate, get inside the church and destroy it from the inside out by pretending to be Christian, even if they weren't. And the period of Lent was the time where people would prove their faith, would prove that they are genuinely converts of Jesus, that generally have chosen to follow Jesus. And so it would be 40 days of thinking about repentance and penance and showing how serious you are about Jesus, because in the early church they'd only baptised once a year and it was always on Easter Sunday. So the 40 days leading up to Easter of Lent was baptism preparation time, essentially. Since then, we've obviously adapted that, changed it, uh, continued to think of it as a time of penance and repentance, which I think is good and right and true, uh, in order to uh, more uh, kind of have a sense of understanding of how significant the events of Good Friday and Easter Sunday are. But one thing I've always appreciated about Lent is about the intentionality. Because sometimes in life, we can coast through life, we can coast through our faith, we can coast through our relationship, sometimes come up against a bit of a brick wall or get stuck, uh, sometimes just struggle. And Lent is a really good opportunity to stop, take stock, and be really intentional about spending 40 days getting to know Jesus better. Because I think this season of Lent, of getting to know Jesus better, is really significant so that when it comes to celebrating Good Friday and Easter Sunday, it means all the more to us. Because the better we know Jesus, the more incredible it becomes to know that he died for us and rose again for us. The better we know him, uh, the better it is for us to celebrate this season of Easter. And we know that through the time in wilderness, I don't think Jesus just coasted around doing nothing. I think he was really intentional about how he spent his time in what he did, as we've been saying, about resting and praying and waiting and and recalling scripture, reciting scripture. He was very intentional about how he spent his time. In fact, the thing you can say about Jesus is that everything he did was intentional. And he certainly didn't live with hurry. He lived with intentionality. He was prepared to be interrupted, but he was intentional about everything he did. Often, he would be intentional about traveling to one particular place for the sake of one person. Because he knew that's what the Father was calling him to do. And the whole kind of thing about doing things because we're being intentional about doing them is the really good thing about Lent. So I want us to to commit to one another and to commit to God to use this time of Lent to be really intentional about getting to know Jesus better. And there's a number of ways we can do that, obviously, by reading his word, as we said, and letting that word form and shape us, uh, shape our identity. So reading the Gospels or reading Hebrews and what the writer of Hebrews says about Jesus, maybe taking a chapter 
chapter of a gospel a day and getting to know Jesus, trying to place yourself in the scene and imagine how you'd respond. If, like Olivia said in Would You Rather at the beginning, imagine if you were there at the feeding of the 5,000. How would you have responded? The thing I read this morning in, in my Bible study is that everybody responded, or so many people when Jesus did something, responded in awe and wonder. You know, how would you have responded if you were there? Get to know Jesus for who he is, not just what he did, as we've been saying over the past few weeks. You could obviously pray more. And yes, as Olivia said, often we say about giving things up in order to make time, make more time for God. You need to be intentional about that. It's not going to happen by accident. You need to make the time to spend with Jesus. But I also want to see how we can learn from each other. And this is where your pieces of paper come in. So hopefully you've all got a piece of paper and a pencil or a pen. If you haven't, I think there are some spare ones lying around somewhere. And here's what I want you to do. is During the next song, I want you to write down one thing that you appreciate or love about Jesus. Okay, and there's no right or wrong answer. It's entirely personal, and it's also entirely optional. You don't have to do it if you don't want to. But during the next song, write one thing that you appreciate or love about Jesus, and then come and place it in this bowl. If you can't physically get it up here, you can give it to someone else to come and place it in the bowl. That would be great. So during the song, write down one thing that you appreciate or love about Jesus. Even if you don't consider yourself to be a follower of Jesus, I'm sure there's something you can think of that you appreciate about him. Uh, So write down one thing that you appreciate or love about Jesus and come and place it in the bowl and we'll explain what we're going to do later in the service. Let's uh, stand to sing. So we know it's a truth that every single one of us uh, faces temptations every day. Temptations uh, from the enemy, temptations from the world, temptations from ourselves. And every time we have a temptation to do something wrong, it is also at the same time a temptation to do the right thing. There are two sides to every temptation. And the idea is, and the hope is, and the prayer is that learning from Jesus, we can allow scripture to form us so much that we use it as a response to that temptation to remind us of who we are and whose we are. It's our hope that when temptation comes, we're able to use rest as a weapon, being secure in that identity. It's the hope that we can be intentional about getting to know Jesus better so that we can learn his ways. Um, We're going to sing our final song in a moment. As we do, we're going to come back to these. So, hopefully most people wrote down something that they appreciate or they love about Jesus. During this last song, what I want you to do is if you put one in the bowl... I want you to come and take a different one. Take somebody else's card. And then spend this week getting to know that aspect of Jesus. You might already know it, but I'd encourage you to do it in a, in a new way. Maybe if somebody's written, Jesus, thank you that you died for us, see it as an invitation to reread that story. If someone's written, Jesus, I thank you for your humour, maybe you might be thinking, I didn't know Jesus had a sense of humour. Well, find the passages where it shows that he has it. You know, all those kind of things. So just find an aspect of Jesus from somebody else uh, and, and get to know that part of Jesus. Does that make sense? Hopefully it'll be quite fun, quite an adventure. It may be that someone had the same one as you. That's fine. Just get to know that bit of Jesus a little bit deeper. Uh, But use this week to get to know the Jesus that somebody else knows, or the part of Jesus that somebody else knows. So as we sing our final song, come and grab a different card. Obviously, if you grab your own card, put it back and swap it for another one. Um, And and let's um, worship as we uh, finish together.
the temptations of life. May we allow scripture to form us. May we use rest as a weapon. May we be intentional about getting to know the Jesus we love and we serve and we worship and adore.